There's really three relevant ATO rulings. There's two from 1999, and there's one from 1992. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 265 of Text Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. With the rise of the internet, more and more of your clients run a business from home. Architects, graphic designers, freelance journalists, social media influencers, tutors, eBay merchants, day traders, you name it. And of course, accountants and bookkeepers all running their businesses from home. But to what extent? Do you risk a partial loss of your CGT main residence exemption when you do run a business from home? This is the question Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney will discuss with you in this episode. I think the important thing is to start with the principles, start with the legislation and what it what it actually says to start with. Now, There's a few ways you can bust your main residence exemption. It can be simple things like, well, if you demolish your house and then sell the land, you, you bust your main residence exemption. Or if you, uh, you know, you just don't live in the property, you can you can bust it. But but here we're talking about where you're actually still occupying the property as your main residence, but you're deriving income from using the property in some way. So there's a special provision in the main residence exemption, which essentially says that you only get a partial exemption if you use the dwelling for the purpose of producing accessible income and if you had incurred interest on money borrowed to acquire the dwelling, that you could have deducted some of that interest. So essentially interest deductibility type test. So you don't even need to have a mortgage on the land. It's just if you had a mortgage and if you then would have been able to deduct the interest. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so that's the starting point. Helpfully, there is a couple of ATO rulings regarding this particular section and they, they are relevant. So I'm going to start with those. Okay, so the essential question is basically, when could you have deducted potential interest? Exactly. So the first, there's really three relevant ATO rulings. There's two from 1999 and there's one from 1992, which actually talks about the former provisions, but it's still, uh, some of these rulings have uh, been around for even longer than this, but this one's at 28 years now and it's still, uh, still current. So the first point is, Well, what if someone else derives income from the property? So I own the property, but but someone else derives income from it. Can this section apply to that? And helpfully, the simple answer to that is no. It has to be the owner of the property. It has to be them who are deriving income from the property. And the reason for that is that it comes down to the interest deductibility test. So in other words, if husband owns the property, but wife is a doctor and uses a bit of the property as a doctor's office, 
Well, if husband incurred interest to, to borrow, he wouldn't be able to deduct it because it's not incurred in gaining or producing his assessable income. So uh, quite simply, it has to be the person actually who owns the property who is driving the income or using the property for an income producing purpose to be more correct. This is in TD 1999-71. So it explicitly confirms that. And yes, that is true in relation to different family members, but it can be taken even further. You have cases come up every now and then about whether expenses are deductible in, in the context of a related party type arrangement. So for example, it might be an individual borrows money and a trust purchases a property and the individual tries to claim interest on the, on the borrowing, but the, the actual property is actually purchased by a discretionary trust. And you can run into problems there where the interest is actually not even deductible because there's not a sufficient nexus to producing income. The same thing can, uh, I think, now it's not, it's not covered in this taxation determination, but I think the same thing could apply if the entity that's actually using the dwelling for an income producing purpose is, is a discretionary trust or a company owned by a discretionary trust. Because in both instances, there is no sufficient nexus between the individual and the entity that's actually using the property for an income producing purpose. So in other words, let's say uh, you've got an individual and you've got a discretionary trust running a, running a business and it runs it from part of the property. Now, if the individual had incurred interest on money borrowed to acquire that dwelling, could they have deducted it? Now, the issue there is that, well, the trust is deriving income, but there is no guarantee that the trust will actually distribute any money to the individual. They might do so, they probably will do so, but strictly from a legal perspective, the trustee of the discretionary trust each year needs to determine who is entitled to income. And until that happens, there is no entitlement. So usually in those sort of situations, just in that general individual discretionary trust setting, you can have real problems with interest deductibility. And I think those same arguments apply here as well. So that means if the trust owns the land, then of course there is no main residence exemption because for main residence exemption that the land must be in an individual's name. But if the individual owns the land and then a trust runs the business from that home, then it's fine. Absolutely. I think so. I think you can't actually apply this section if you're in that situation. And also the situation where a company runs the business, yes, but the shares are not owned by the individual. That was my next question. So yeah. if the shares are owned by an individual who owns the, the house, then you have a problem? I think you would have a sufficient enough nexus in that case because even though it's another entity running the business, they would be entitled the to dividends. all the dividends and all that, yeah. all that. So I think you probably have a problem in that situation too. Okay, good. So it's really only a discretionary trust. A unit trust already would be a problem again. It's only a discretionary trust that's running a business in the house where you would be safe. Yeah, and of course you would need or if to... somebody else, or if somebody yeah. else who doesn't own the land runs the business. Yep, and of course you would need to be able to navigate the PSI rules as well because, I mean, it's one thing just to operate a business through another entity, but if the PSI rules operate to bring that, that income into your own name anyway, 
you would have problems. So you'd have to make sure it was a personal services business or otherwise not um, not in the PSI rules to start with. So assuming we're, we're, we're in a situation that, that we can't get out of it by relying on this, um, this TD 1999-71, we've then got two other ATO authorities to consider. The, the first is another TD, also from 1999. It's 1999-66. That ruling talks about what factors are taken into account to determine how to actually even calculate the capital gain. So assuming this section applies, how do we actually calculate the gain? Now, I won't go into this one in as much detail because what we're talking about is whether we're even in the section at all. But what this determination does say is it's usually a, a floor area type basis, but other methods may be, may be reasonable as well. So if you run an online business from home, and then the solution could be that you just put the title into another person's name. Yeah, 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 definitely. That could be that could be the solution. And that might be a good thing from an asset protection perspective, particularly if the, the other person is uh, not a director or not conducting risky activities. And of course, on that transfer, you very well, very uh, may well get the main residence exemption. The thing to consider is, is duty. Now, the rules work differently in every single state, but different states do have concessions available to transfers between spouses. And in some states, that might be either completely exempt or at least possibly partially exempt. What's the situation in New South Wales? I think that changed, didn't it? I think Victoria still has transfers between spouses uh, stamp duty free, but I think in New South Wales it's changed. Or yeah, was it the other so, way around? so in Victoria, you can you can transfer um, between spouses so long as it's your main residence. It used to be even more broad. In New South Wales, my understanding is you can transfer from an individual to both spouses, but you can't go from one both spouse spouses. to the other. Yeah. Or from both spouses to one. Or spouse. both spouses to one. So I think it only works if you go from one to both. Now, okay. if we're talking about this main residence exemption, well, that might at least partially solve the problem. It's not going to be a full solution, but um, it is better than nothing. So that was about TD 99-71. Then we covered 99-66. That basically just said, use the floor area. But this might be a way out if you argue, yes, I did run a business from home, but I didn't use any designated work area. The floor area that was used for business was basically zero because I just used my laptop sitting in the kitchen while the children did their homework around me or, or you know, something, something yeah. like that, hence bring the floor area to zero. Mm, that's a good point. And I think that's, that it leads well into the third ruling, which talks about really, are you even in these rules or not? When you're using your sole or principal residence to produce income, what, what is okay and what's not okay? So the simple example of something that's not okay is something like residential property that has a doctor's office as part of it and it's fully set up to meet with clients and you know conduct business and so forth whereas there's a distinct distinction to drawn between i guess lesser lesser activities which we'll go into the doctor's practice would be a clear-cut scenario of course that would not be covered by the main residence exemption yeah that's at the end of one spectrum and then you have the other end where there is no income producing activity but then of course there's many many shades of gray absolutely yeah so so i'll go through this this tax ruling the the first point 
to note is it's from 1992. So clearly the world was a bit different in 1992. I mean, we barely had internet, let alone working from home, video conferencing, cloud-based services. None of those things really existed then. So in applying this test, well, there's really two parts. Well, is the dwelling used for the purposes of producing accessible income? And can we meet this hypothetical interest deductibility test? Now, the interest deductibility test isn't really covered in this tax ruling, which is IT 2673. And I suspect the reason for that is because it's a very old ruling and the legislation was slightly different at the time. But it does cover this, this concept of used for the purpose of producing accessible income. What it says is, one, it depends on the nature of the, the income producing activities conducted and the role played by the dwelling in facilitating those activities. It gives the examples of a doctor's office, which, which is sort of pretty clear cut. Then it gives other examples of other activities that is a bit uh, grayer. So we've got example of children being cared for by a daycare giver, music or swimming lessons being given, tutoring, tuition, car or television repair services, and also the example of professional people and self-employed people that might use a study or other room merely because it's inconvenient for the work to be done at their normal place of work. So in the case of those, those categories, the ruling says that the dwelling would only be regarded as being used for the purposes of gaining or producing accessible income where that part of the dwelling used for the activities has the character of a place of business. So the key word there is character of a place of business. The ATO then say, well, whether something is a has a character of a place of business is a question of fact, depends on the exact circumstances, but, but here's some factors that are relevant. And they identify three things. One is that it's set aside exclusively as a place of business. Two is that it's clearly identifiable as a place of business. And three is that it is not readily suitable or adaptable for use for private or domestic purposes in association with the dwelling generally. Okay. And I think if you, reading between the lines, while Every case is going to be different and the ATO don't specifically say this. I think if you don't meet any one of those three factors, it's going to be very, very difficult to lose any part of the main residence exemption. So that means, pointing to this IT2673, yep. if you don't have business signage outside saying here's a doctor's office or here's an architect working or something similar, then it's not clearly identifiable as a place of business? Correct. If it's a room that's also used for other things, homework, storage, etc., then it's not set aside exclusively. Yep. And then also if it's a room that you can easily use for private purposes, for example, it has a TV in there or a couch or lots of other things, laundry being dried, then it's readily suitable for private use and hence then also doesn't... Absolutely. Yeah, so... So that basically means, I can imagine, that basically means that for most small businesses that are run from home, this IT2673 would mean that they don't have to worry about the main residence exemption. I think so. I mean, it's, it's, it's very different to, to back in the day where you'd see, you know, accountants, for example, is a good example where they'd have a front room where they would see clients at home and they might have a little sign out the front. The reality is these days, 
because we're all so mobile, in that business in that scenario would probably do most of their work from home, but they would probably have a serviced office address where they could go see clients or see clients remotely. There's really no need for that sort of that sort of structure anymore. Yes. Yeah, so, you could so yeah, be... it's very hard to to actually uh, fall foul of this section for, I guess, most professionals. Okay. So just to repeat it, if you don't have a sign outside advertising your business, if you don't have a separate entrance, if you don't have a clear distinction between business and private, if it's it's fluid, then you are safe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the ATO give an example of music lessons being provided or tuition being given from a study in a home. They say that, well, that would not satisfy the test. Do you think it would bust the main residence exemption or it wouldn't? Because would not. Study- it would not. Yeah, it would not yeah. bust the main residence exemption. Okay, because the study before and after the music lesson could be used for private purposes. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So that basically means that if you run your business from a company, for example, and you have the registered address and the principal place of business that you registered with ASIC as your private address, you're still fine. You're you're safe. I think so. So if the company is owned by a discretionary trust, I, th- I think you're safe purely on the basis that the section can't apply in the first place. If the company is owned in individual names, then you're still safe thanks to IT 2673, as long as your area is not set aside exclusively, is not clearly identifiable, and is not readily suitable for private use. I think so. I think so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so if you're a sole trader and you meet all those criteria as well, then you're also safe. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. Good. So that means what you put down on your ASIC registration doesn't matter. Shouldn't matter, no, no. And I mean, the flip side of these is is what sort of deductions you can claim and, and the deductions generally fit into one of two categories. They're either running costs or occupancy, occupancy costs. Cost. Yeah, of course, it goes without saying, if you don't want to bust your main residence exemption, of course, you can't claim occupancy costs. Absolutely. If you claim occupancy costs, then this whole conversation yeah. is redundant because yeah. then, of course, you do lose your main residence exemption. So you yeah. do not claim occupancy costs. Yeah, I, th- I think the two are mutually exclusive. If I can't think of an example where you could claim occupancy costs but not lose the main residence exemption partially or the other way around when you want to protect your main residence exemption, only claim running costs. So that is electricity, cleaning, computers, printers, stationery, et cetera. But furniture and fittings, and I think fittings is, for example, a carpet or I'm actually not sure what fittings would cover, but so let's just stick with furniture. Or could you you could still claim furniture as well under running costs, correct? Yeah, I believe so. I believe I believe furniture Peter, is covered, and then you can claim Peter, sort of deductions. Yeah, yep. Carpet. Yep. Lamps. Yep. And you can either claim that at the the normal sort of ATO rate, but and then we've got an eighty cents per hour rate now, which is a sort of administrative concession, or or you just calculate them um, yourself. Yep. So the only thing that really falls under occupancy costs is mortgage. Or, or or depreciation and yeah, yeah probably depreciation and interest correct yeah mortgage interest rent um, rates land tax yeah yeah things like yeah. that things yeah but like if that. you are if you are renting your home then of course you do want your principal place of business in your house because it means you can claim occupancy cost and you don't have a main residence exemption to lose absolutely if you're renting uh, doesn't uh, you know the main residence exemption is not uh, not relevant whatsoever so put the sign outside 
Yeah, put a sign outside, make sure that it's a specialist area. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 90% of the house is used for business. I think it'd be very difficult to, I mean, with a rental property, there's only so much you can do and, and, and things like that. And um, so I think you'd, you'd probably face an uphill battle to, to claim occupancy costs, even in a rental setting. Oh, really? Because of zoning? Because of zoning. Um, I mean, I think you might run into other problems like the lease for the, um, for, for the residential premises and, and things of that nature. Yeah. I, really, because, for example, I have a client who has her entire office in, in an apartment that is zoned as residential overlooking Bondi Beach, but mm. still zoned residential, but used entirely as, a, as, a, as an office. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably not a tax deduction issue. It's probably more a, a zoning uh, a, issue, a zoning and leasing type issue, rather yes. than a tax deduction issue. Okay. Good. So you would be able to tax deduct part of your rent if part of your apartment is 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 used for income producing purposes, and you have a sign outside, and it's you know yeah. completely set up for business purposes. Let's say it's a photo studio that you. With, with lamps and shades and everything that you clearly wouldn't use for private purposes unless you take private photos. Uh, in yeah. that case, you could claim those as a tax deduction. I think so. And, and I mean, uh, you know, there's one case where the, the, the name of it escapes me, but essentially it was a barrister claiming that um, their home office, wanting to claim occupancy costs essentially in their home office, the problem for the taxpayer there was that the court said, well, look, you don't need to use that. You've got an office in the city and, you know, the fact that you use your, your home office sometimes, it's, it's not a necessity. It's not your sole place of business. But with, with the whole COVID situation, that might look be looked at quite differently now, especially where you're either encouraged to work from home or required to work from home. So, Although the ATO website is is quite clear on occupancy costs. It keeps saying you can't claim your rent just because at the moment you have to work from home. And I think they say that because rent, of course, is a big chunk of expense. Somebody charges 52 or 80 cents an hour for five months. That's not that's not as high an expense. But of course, if we start putting occupancy costs onto the tax return, that's a huge claim so i i think they are yeah they are resistant to that yeah i mean i understand that's the ato's view but but, i mean i could think of a situation where um you know could easily say well i've got a a two-bedroom apartment in in melbourne i'm required to work from home and i've set aside one room exclusively for work because i mean from a mental health perspective it makes a lot of sense to do something like that because you know you're stuck at home for months you want to have a delineation between the two I think it's very much arguable that someone in that situation could claim rental deductions for, yes. for, for for that part of the property. And of course, your point is very valid, what the ATO says or doesn't say. In the end, it all comes mm. back to the law. And yeah, if you can argue your position referring to relevant ITs or TDs or actual law, then you have a strong position. Absolutely. Someone will, uh, some, someone will test it at some point. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. Welcome back. So all of this is really good news. It means your main residence exemption is safe, not even a partial loss when you run a business from home as long as either 
The one running the business is not the one owning the house and slash or your working space is not exclusively used for your business, but also for other things is not easily identified as a business from outside and can easily be adapted to private or domestic use. If any of this applies, your main residence exemption is safe. In the next episode, episode 266, Jeff Steen of Brownwright Steen Lawyers in Sydney We'll talk about tax deducting your home loan when you use the funds in your offset account for investment purposes. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.